What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 80 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise Card UK and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh. And as ever, I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, for the 80th time, how are you? I'm very well. Isn't that like four days worth of podcasts? Upsettingly for our listeners, so we can only apologise for sticking around for this. That long. is that is a long time. Like four, like four days, about ninety six hours. I reckon that's imagine us for four days. I'd be sick of me. Four minutes like two is a, a stretch for some people. <laughs> After two and a half days, I think I'd have gouged someone's tongue out. Yeah, uh, maybe I mean, my own. To be honest, oh my god. What I like about how I started that intro, Sam, is I said for the 80th time, how are you? As if to suggest that, uh, that this is the only time I ever ask you how you are in all the <laughs> other only, conversations we that we speak. have. We only speak for this podcast. But you are well, aren't you, Sam? Please inform me. <laughs> for the 80th time, I am well. Um, love to hear it, bro. I love to hear it. Yeah. Tell you what I love, Sam. Our new intro, that stonking riff that you just heard, listeners, coming into the show, was done by our mates in Illyrian. And we're going to leave links to their socials and their Spotify and stuff in the um, comments section of this video. Uh, big love to uh, Will, guitarist, and Daryl, drummer, from, for, from Illyrian for supplying us with that absolute meat metal. You love it, mate? You absolutely love to hear it. Stonking, said Chris, common noise. Stonking. <laughs> Like he's selling car insurance in the 90s. Undeniably stonks, though. (laughs) Uh, It is. It is full of stonk. Brilliant. Uh, We are a rock and metal podcast. We come to you every fortnight. We are available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get or listen to your podcast. Me and Sam will be there. The best way to support us is by liking, slash following, slash subscribing, depending on the service you are using. My goodness, Sam, how about this for an episode that we have got today? I am going to briefly talk about Sam Dunk before we talk about us both seeing While She Sleeps and Loathe in Birmingham. Then we've got album reviews on Iron Maiden, Employed to Serve, Sleep Token and Rivers of Nile. Plus, as you will see from the episode title, I caught Jake Diffenbach, who is the vocus of Rivers of Nile for a very, very special Chris Meat. Absolutely beyond honoured to do that interview. That is going to come at the end of this show. Haven't got time for news, Sam. Haven't really got time for me and you to talk about our absolute nonsense. So let's get straight into the gig review, Sam. I'm going to quickly talk about Slam Dunk. Um, I was at Slam Dunk uh, Leeds and it's the third. it was one of those events where like, it's been that long since I was at a festival because of obviously lockdown, coronavirus and that kind of stuff that really all they had to do was put the festival on and make sure it went ahead for me to enjoy it. Uh, unfortunately, you couldn't be there. Mate, unbelievable time was had. I'm not going to talk about While She Sleeps and Load because we literally saw them ourselves at a gig a few days after. But mate, Malevolence. I have to talk about Malevolence. Oh, oh, you know how like we consider Malevolence an underground band. So really... We, we consider that there may be a ceiling on just how big they can be because being an underground hardcore band is part of their shtick. But Sam, you know, you see them at a festival like Slam Dunk, you see the crowd that they're bought in Slam Dunk, predominantly a pop punk festival, and that there's there's no shame in that. Mate, there's a little shame in that. There's no shame in that. Uh, the, the reaction they got was phenomenal. It was insane. It, very, very rarely have I seen a festival set go off to such a degree. I think that Malevolence might be one of those bands that, one of the few bands that start off as a hardcore, underground hardcore act, have that as part of their shtick 
and then eventually are just forced to outgrow that mean you have both interviewed Alex Taylor the vocalist previously who has said to us both at, at, at uh, times that we kind of like that this isn't our full-time gig and that we both we've all got jobs that we mm-hmm. that we do on a daily basis and this is like our side thing which is cool dude I just can't see a world where they're not forced for this to be their full-time thing Honestly, it, it seems to be expanding at such a rate. I just don't see how they're not going to be forced into this being their their jobs. Yeah, I think intentionally or unintentionally as well, they appear to be making songwriting decisions that are leading towards that. Yeah, and they were they were talking about their ambitions, wanting to increase the size of the group and the the, the reach, regardless of whether they're staying in the hardcore remit or not. I mean, we've had this conversation ad nauseum. That could, if they wanted to be a uh, napalm death in 20 years where they're just a bastion of the industry yeah um or they could go for it there's also in there's also a um there's also a chance for the other circumstance where like there's like an every time i die you have to see this band live kind yeah. of buzz yeah. that actually projects the band upwards actually without their music changing and that that could be that could be a possibility as well where there's just for festivals as well, there's just such a gravitas towards seeing those live events. Um, and there's no reason why malevolence can't easily fit into, into that category, regardless of what musical direction they choose. Because of time, Funeral for a Friend were also brilliant, amazing to see them come back. When they did kind of go on a hiatus, gonna go on a hiatus slash disband, I thought that will be it for them and they won't return. They did return, and sometimes that can be underwhelming when you see that happen in fruition but actually if it, they, they pulled in the biggest crowd that was non-main stage that I saw for the entire day literally like I had to squeeze into the tent to see them and I mean squeeze hearing into oblivion mate live again what else do you want feel for a friend uh, really one of those like, underrated emo post-hardcore bands from that era. Your Demise, brilliant seeing them again. I don't believe Your Demise are going to come back in the same van as you for a friend and like really relaunch themselves. I think they've got a few more gigs lined up, but regardless, seeing Your Demise was a cool experience. Creeper, I was somewhat underwhelmed by on the main stage. Not sure. I mean, they fit on the main stage in the sense of their fan base size kind of demands that. But there was just something missing about the translation that I uh, didn't quite feel. State Champ smashed it, and I caught the remnants of uh, Don Broco, unfortunately for me. But the two main bands that I, but apart from Elevens, that I enjoyed the most, Sam, were the two bands that we saw in Birmingham just a few days after in what might be the hottest evening of our entire existence. Loathe and While She Sleeps. Dude, I'm much bigger on Loathe than you. In fact, we only caught the last 15, 20 minutes of Loathe in Birmingham because of our work commitments. Loathe were insanely good at Slam Dunk. Our other best friend, Leon, is the guy I was with at Slam Dunk who doesn't really know much about Loathe. I made him watch them with me. I was like, you will enjoy these. They're amazing. We both left and he was like, that was wicked. They're going to bear a really great band and I'm certain they're going to be superstars. And the, for, for the first time, Sam, we saw them finish on White Hot together before supporting Sleeps. And it's the first time I've seen you be like, okay, I, I do kind of get it. Aren't they they're great, isn't they, Sam? Just, I know that you're not massive on them, but seeing White Hot, the fan reaction, how brilliant a vocalist Kadeem Francis, and how brilliant a crowd controller he is, great, great charisma, great stage presence. 
I feel like you got something from White Hot. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that last section. I just enjoyed the amount of like caveats you have to put in to get me to agree with you. Um, but I, 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 I do. Um, that that last that last song was um, was a real was a real highlight of their set. I just wish they did that more for me for my personal taste. Uh, but I can appreciate that they're moving in a different direction musically, and that appears to be working for them as well. So I'm no complaints whatsoever. Not going to try and wrangle you on loud, Sam. That, that would be a wasted time. Hopefully we haven't that... got enough time. <laughs> yeah, we haven't uh, got enough time. Let's just talk about while she sleeps, mate, because issues riddled through the set of their control. But, mate, our first indoor gig together since Turnstile on the 12th of March 2020. Yes, I remember the date. <sighs> mate, who else? Really, outside of, like, Metallica or, like, Slipknot in an indoor show... Who else would we rather have seen for our first indoor show together back than While She Sleeps? Who would we trust more to put on a great show for us? The band are just amazing. They're just brilliant. They are terrific. And there's there's also a, a lovely sort of narrative with seeing them so regularly, having seen them um, in 2016-17 when they were really starting to break out with You Are We and seeing them pretty much every available opportunity we've managed to get since and never being disappointed. Um, yeah, it's worth touching on the obstacles that they faced just to just to get to the show with Sean Long's absence due to a COVID scare and obviously some of the PI and auditory issues that, that the venue suffered with several times cutting out midway through songs, didn't phase the band one iota, carried on, waited for the wait for the opportunity for the sound to come back, continue to play, put on a terrific set. The crowd seemed to really feed off both the band itself and the adversity that the band seemed to face, seemed to sort of unite um, both band and audience together. Now, Sleeps have always managed to maintain a, um, a united front, a collective uh, unity among their audience that they've obviously tapped into for the Sleep Society um, idea that is, from, from, from my view, appears to be working quite well for them. And the gig was it was a further example of that. Um, quick shout out, Loz is still incredible. And also, can we talk about some of the vocal things that Loz never was heard him doing this? With? Never heard him Absol- doing those growls. The conclusions of songs really tapping into a death core, um, a real death core, not just like a, a casual scream here and there. Real lows, real guttural moments that he's clearly capable of doing, not just once in a while, but with regularity, when the moment strikes, I would like to hear that once or twice on record um, just to have it, to be honest. But yeah, just to conclude, While She Sleeps are, are pretty much as reliable as it gets as a modern metal band putting on a great show and um, last week was no exception. And they were just as brilliant at Slam Dunk, mate. I've never seen While She Sleeps and not had immense fun. Even when I saw them without loss at 2000 Trees, and they were getting guest vocalists to come and turn up and do Lozzie's parts. Mate, they're just, they're a mate. They're such a one-off. They're such That's a terrific. one-off. They're a mate. Absolutely. What an amazing band. And do you know what, dude? They're probably going to come out with another album next year or the start of 2023. And we'll do the same thing again. We'll be wax lyrical about how brilliant his habits and the intelligence step forward. And then we'll go and see him on that tour. We'll be back on this podcast and be like, how amazing while she sleeps. They're such a one-off. They're amazing. I, I agree. 
Um, and I expect to be seeing them at a larger venue the next time. Yeah, I think it demands that. They've completely sold out this UK tour. I think that their next UK tour demands larger venues, and I think that they will fit into those with complete ease, because they're such a ridiculous, brilliant band. It's time. It's time. It's also time, Sam, for us to move on to album reviews. I'll just quickly dot down the time here for the timestamps, 11.40. Let's start, Sam, with Iron Maiden Senjutsu. The album is already out. There isn't actually too much that... We're going to go into detail here, but not to an amazing extent, Sam, because anyone that's listening to this show, you would already have had almost two weeks worth to listen to the new Iron Maiden album by this point. So there's not really This is a fly-by review, really. Yeah, there's not really much that we can reveal to you about the album that you won't already know. It's out now on Parlophone Records. It's a follow-up to 2015's The Book of Souls. Let's just quickly make mention here that I have listened to one Iron Maiden album in four before this review, and that was Number of the Beast. Of course, I know the big albums, the big uh, hitters such as Fear of the Dark and stuff, but I really have felt that Iron Maiden don't do a great deal for me, and that probably bleeds into the fact that I caught on to metal, as I've said several times on this podcast, incredibly, incredibly late, and I caught on to metal from the kind of melodic kill switch engages parkway drive-esque stuff so the you know my patience to sit through a maiden song that hasn't got that big massive chorus or or big huge guttural breakdown it sometimes has been difficult for me before we actually get into talking about the record sam and we are going to kind of fleet past it uh, because of time and because of the fact that it's been out for a couple of weeks by now i do actually want to ask you um because you would absolutely be the best person to answer this as opposed to me. Would you take 21st century Maiden over 21st century Metallica? I know that Maiden have released a lot more records than Metallica in the 21st century. I just want to play devil's advocate. What do you think? No. Interesting. Uh, any particular reason? Um, Metallica's last two albums are better than Maiden's last two albums, in my view. Okay. But... I would like to see Metallica doing Iron Maiden's tour commitments with the regularity that Iron Maiden do. Yeah, okay. Uh, Iron, Maiden, Iron Maiden look after their fans from a live perspective. And I'm not saying that Metallica don't, because of course they do. Um, but Maiden do like, oh, we're going to go to Peru and we're going to play 15 songs from 1980 to 1988. We're going to do that just for you. And then we're going to go to download and then we're going to play Seventh Son of the Seventh Son, which all of our fans really adore and we're going to play in for. Into that type of stuff. Um, Metallica don't really do that. Um, I would like them once in a while to just be like, hey, it's Tuesday, we're in Germany. We're just going to play Ride the Lightning from start to finish because it'll kick off. How amazing yeah. will that be? Yeah. Or we're going to let the fans pick our encore and then play whatever comes out because that's the sort of thing that Maiden do. Um, but I mean, I'm a, I'm a bigger Metallica fan anyway, so whatever. A Maiden fan would say Maiden because they get looked after and if you've liked a Maiden Army 2003, you're going to like a Maiden Army 2016. But personally, give Metallica's last two albums over Maiden's last two. What has Iron Maiden, you know, you're telling me, I'm not going to really have a, a rebuttal or anything for you on that comment because I, I don't know enough about Maiden to be able to make a, fair, a fair judgment. What kind 
of tw- journey have Maiden been on in the 21st century? Because I, I was, I mentioned on Twitter that, oh, I'm really enjoying this new Maiden album. And a lot of people responded with like, Maiden's 21st century prog stuff is amazing. And in some ways it's better than some of their 80s and 90s stuff. For you as a listener, how do you feel like Maiden's 21st century uh, musical journey has, has been received by you? I want to start off by saying that nothing that they've produced the 21st century is better than anything they've produced in the 80s. Right, That's fair. Okay. Um, nothing wrong with the 21st century stuff, but if you like, if you like Maiden, Maiden in the 80s. Uh, that's the next question. Next question. Um, in the 90s, absolutely. One of those albums had Blaze Bailey on it, which is awful. Um, but anyway, again, uh, their 21st century since uh, they had a prog prog album called the uh, Tyler Benjamin Brieg, uh, which was like a concept album. I can, see okay. the, I can see a smirk on your face. Which was okay. Um, but they were very confident in it and they played it all live on their tour once. They did a, they did a massive tour in around 08 and they played it from start to finish from the first track and then played like half a dozen songs. And the rebuttal was so nasty in terms of I've paid 60 quid to see Iron Maiden and you've played three songs at the end that I enjoy. And I've had to listen to this, like, meandering bullshit. Um, why are you doing this to me? The, the next tour, they, they reintroduced the Somewhere Back in Time tour. They brought out a best of, and they did what they did for a while. Um, when you were starting to get into metal, that 2014, well, 2010 to sort of 2015 phase, they did a lot of, like, uh, vintage heritage stuff, right. where they were playing like, lots of classics. But in the midst of that, they were releasing new albums. But then they were doing live shows that were like massively centered on nostalgia. From a from a live perspective, they have gone in a more proggy direction. Uh, like Book of Souls and Final Frontier are prog albums, prog metal albums that are absolutely more in the mold of Seventh Son of a Seventh Son or Power Slave um, in terms of the song length and the intricacy. And those albums have been good. Those albums has been good, have been good. And Senjutsu is another album in that mold where it's prog, where it's long, lengthy songs, where it's uh, expansive concepts. And that's been something that Maiden have done. Essentially, they appear to be picking a different theme. So obviously, like at the moment, it's imperialist Japan. And before that, it was like, you know, kind of maybe voodoo spirits, ghosts, supernatural type of stuff with the Book of Souls. Before that, it was like, let's do an album about space. And they just appear to be doing concept albums just with whatever remaining vibe that there is, there might be, I mean, they've already done Egypt, haven't they, with Power Slave and stuff like that. It's probably going to be like a Les Mis style Renaissance France period album or something. Like, I genuinely wouldn't even rule it out. They've covered every, almost every historical <laughs> period of time and stuff. So that's just what I think that they're doing. And that appears to be what sits well with their musicianship because the up-tempo stuff probably wouldn't suit Bruce Dickinson anymore. They're not exactly going to play like Prola or uh, Rathchilds, that type of stuff. They're not going to do punky stuff. They haven't really done that since like 1988 anyway. So all, all in all, um, to conclude, their change has been good. Their, their approach to prog change has been good. It's been necessary and it's been well suited to where the band are at at the moment because the albums are good enough to be well received by fans and they've sensibly worked out that playing 12 new songs is a bad idea, but playing three new songs is a good one. And that balance appears to have restored. So overall, I think 21st Century Maiden is, is, is impressive. I mean, 
you only have to look at the media response. I mean, I was talking to the old man about it. NME gave this new album five stars. NME gave Senjutsu five stars. Now, we joke about Metal Hammer because Metal Hammer had made an 11 out of 10 if Bruce Dickinson farted on a microphone for 15 songs. But they're, for what they're doing for their fandom, for their, for their, for their, for their target audience is really, really well suited. Like I said, I like Maiden, so I like this. If you love Maiden, you're going to adore this. It, it suits you right down to the ground. And that's the thing. They've sensibly worked out what do our audience want? What are we good at at this stage of our career? Two and two is four. Works for me. So I guess so with me coming into this, and I, I'm going to say to you, dude, I think this album's like great. I, I really, really enjoy this album. And I'm really surprised saying that. I was making jokes about this album a couple of months ago when it was announced. And I was yes. like, our oh, turnstile comes out on the 27th of August and this comes out on the 3rd of September. So life gives with one hand and takes away with the other. I was making jokes about it. Oh, I was, I've got zero, almost zero interest in this. And, you know, again, I'm slapping, I've ended up slapping myself in the face because dude, I, I really, really enjoy this album. I think there were really brilliant moments on this album. Now you're hearing this, you're like, we're like best friends and you're hearing me say this. For you as the recipient hearing me say this now, are you thinking, oh my God, I've got some things to show you or oh my God, you're right to love this. Do you know what I mean? So are you thinking if you love this, oh my God, I've got some, I've got a record to show you or are you thinking, you know what, mate? Yep, this, you should love this. Do you know what I mean? A a little bit. I'm also absolutely fuming, to be honest, because (laughs) you've been making, you've been making anti-major jokes since 2016. You would have enjoyed the last three albums as much as this one. That's the thing that bothers me. It's like, if you like that, then Final Frontier is as good, or at least 90% as good, depending on your personal taste, because, you know, it depends which theme you prefer. Um, and same, same with Book of Souls. It's really good as well. So that's, that's, that, that's, that's my frustration with, with that statement. Um, it does make me think, now that you're a, you're a certain listener now, that you've, you've, your taste has progressed to the point where you can conceivably listen to prog metal uh, without requiring it to like sort of kick your face in, which is obviously mm. why we're you're going to be talking such in such glowing terms about the, the the New Rivers of Nile record, which you'll probably admit to me three or four years ago you might not have given the time of day, or possibly um, not. So that's the same here with Maiden. I think now rather than I, I'm not going to sit here thinking great, you should listen to the Book of Souls. I'm thinking <laughs> cool, you should listen to Power Slave and Seventh Son and the Seventh Son because they're really good prog metal albums when Maiden were, you know, better musicians and Bruce Dickinson's voice was in better shape or that, that type of stuff. Like, I'm thinking you should listen to Phantom of the Opera, or, which is one of the earlier tunes, but or even like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner or something like that, where they, they play this type of stuff. Um, but again, it's a bit more up-tempo and a bit more athletic at that moment in time. Um, yeah, I, I'm, also, I'm also quite pleased because I had gotten the impression that you'd made your mind up about your relationship with this band. And I'm mm. happy that that's, that's adjusted. Um, but at the, yeah, at the same time, honestly and frankly, this is what Maiden have been for the last three albums. This is, this is who they are now. Can I ask, because you mentioned that about Maiden were better musicians in the 80s and 90s, of course that makes sense. Bruce Dickinson sounded better in the 80s and 90s, of course that makes sense. What percentage though, because I'm listening to songs like Stratego, and it's quite clear as listening, even to someone like me who's not massive on Maiden, that okay, he's he's not trying to be on the level that he was in 1982, but him being 60% as good 
is still enough to get him by because the way these songs are structured, the way the riffs are played is so brilliant that really all he needs to do is just be kind of like Bruce Dickinson and it's still going to work. I love Stratego, by the way. I think that song's amazing. What kind of gun to your head, he didn't know I was going to ask this, but like what percentage are you saying that they are? Are we saying 60%? No. Are we saying they're they're still 60%, 70%, 80%? What are we saying? I think 70 to 75. They're they're closer to their original selves than Bruce Dickinson is to his. Right. Okay. Um, but that's that's also a much easier thing to do as a musician. Um, they're just they don't the, the stuff they're doing isn't as dexterous. The the riffs they're doing are not a, a, a seemingly deliberately not as complex. And I've I've been down this road a lot with Maiden. I can I think I could map out the Maiden tropes as I hear them. Yeah. And you can hear when you get in simplified versions or less complex versions of previous and very successful Maiden tropes from before. Um, like there's there's moments there's moments in this song where I'm like, oh, that reminds me of this song from two 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 albums ago, or that reminds me from a little bit of this song here. They're, they're using these they use similar chord patterns, they use similar song structures, but the ones from the mid to late eighties, in my opinion, were were better and and. My, 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 the ones in the comments are saying, you know, this is as good as late 80s, early 90s, good to your head, no maiden, no maiden fan is taking Book of Souls over anything from 1982 onwards. I'm just, I'm just, I just know that. I just know that. Um, but as well, like, like from a drawing perspective, Nick Brown is still really, really good. He's not as dexterous as he used to be. He's, his ride rolls aren't as good. But then again, the dude's in his 60s. Bruce Dickinson's had cancer. This is not a criticism. It's just a statement of fact. And once again, with ACDC, I think it's fantastic that they're producing an album that is 70, 80% as good as anything they've released in the last 20 years. That's, that's a great place to be. One thing I do want to mention, Sam, before we move on, because like I said, the album's been out for a couple of weeks. There's nothing we knew we can reveal about the album that listeners won't have already heard themselves if they're into Iron Maiden. How amazing are Iron Maiden at building an intro? Oh, brilliant. Mate, they're amazing at building the intro. Like, Hell on Earth and Darkest Hour, so, so brilliant. And, like, like, building a track for a climactic moment or a climactic end, they're Mm. so brilliant. Like, 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 masters of the craft at that, stunning some of this. I completely agree. I think Darkest Hour, by the way, is my favourite song on the album. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, But what made her also particularly good at is writing a guitar solo that seems to beautifully fade into a harmonized guitar um melody that they're all three guitarists appear to be playing and then go back into another solo and then back into it and it doesn't actually appear despite the fact you've heard like a variation on the same thing for three and a half minutes it doesn't sound um repetitive it's, it, it is it is extraordinary um they are they have been written writing variations of the same great metal song for a long time but they, they're, they're better at it than everybody else they, they really really are um and they're difficult. They're difficult to um, difficult to mimic. They're easily identifiable. Maiden are maiden, and they and they have been that good for, for for two or three albums quite easily. Like there's a there's a song on the Final Frontier that I love called the When the Wild Wind Blows, and I'd show you and you'd enjoy it as well. But it's eighty percent exactly the same in terms of like the, the guitar style and some of the song structures as like a song like Darkest Hour. It's the same kind of same kind of vibe. Um, epic intro, long guitar solo, main main chorus riff, that type of stuff. Um, and this is this is another example of that. This is 
This is a good album, a really good album, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. To move on, Sam. Actually, you know, before we before we move on, if you had to tell me to go to one I made and a record now that's not Number of the Beast, because I've already heard it, where what would be would you tell me to go to now? Hmm, that is a good question. Um, I'd probably immediately think Seventh Son of the Seventh Son or Power Age. Okay. Power, Power Slave, sorry, not Power Age. Okay, I think Seventh Son of the Seventh Son is the cooler album title, so I'm going to go there. Seventh Son of the Seventh Son review coming at you on the next episode. I can't, I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait. You're going to pinpoint like some 15 seconds of it that you don't enjoy and be like, what is this? Like, it's nine minutes long. You're not going to like, like Invaders. They're the worst yeah. song ever written. <laughs> I hate that song. I, I can't believe anyone allowed that to get reach production. Anyway, Sam, because I could talk about my hatred for Invaders for a long time, but I want to talk about something that I there. enjoy, and that is my employee to serve. Oh, mm. Sam, I enjoy employee to serve. So, Conquering the new Employed to Serve album is out on Friday, the 17th of September via Spine Farm Records. It's the band's fourth album and the follow up to 2019's Eternal Forward Motion. Sam, I, th- I think it's one of the, this sounds like an obvious thing to say, but Employed to Serve are one of those bands that you just can't help but root for, aren't they? Because of their underground DIY aesthetic, because of the fact that they burst through onto the British metal scene, British alternative music scene at a time where we really, really needed them along with the likes of a black peaks and milk teeth and creeper. They, they obviously different sounding bands, but they all came through at a time to make you really excited about what was happening in British alternative music. So I think going into conquering Sam, this is a record that you immediately want to love just because it's employed to serve. Did you get that kind of, feeling and emotional pull towards it before even pressing play as well yeah i remember seeing them in the slider interview in like yeah. 2016 and yeah. thinking this is this is a band deserving of, of of success i remember hearing um their last the last two albums and forgive me for not remembering the last title it's the sun um warmth of a dying sun came out in 2017 and eternal forward motion came out in 2019 thank you very much I remember, I remember review, I think we reviewed that in 2017 as well on the old Soundcheck podcast. And we definitely reviewed the 2019 one because yeah. by that point you were sort of frothing at the mouth yeah. with, with anything that they were producing. And I thought both were really, really good. I actually thought um, the last album, Eternal Forward Motion, was actually a, obviously a title included a, a deliberate step forward and a, a more progressive step as well. I'm delighted to report that appears to have happened again. This is a really, really good album. And also... I hint at some real depth and progression, which I was worried that wouldn't be there. Yeah, I think this is a, is a tremendous record. Uh, again, just, just to kind of back up my emotion going into this album, Church Road Records is run, is run by Justine and Sammy, who is the, Justine's the vocalist, and Sammy Irwin is the guitarist and the backing vocalist. And Church Road Records are, are really a label that have got just an insane ear for up-and-coming talent. A Knock Tools album came out on Church Road Records. And uh, they're one of those bands employed to serve art that, you really believe in everything that they do because they're so closely knit and tied to the underground. And what I've got to say, dude, is while Employed to Serve still lean on their metallic hardcore roots and moments on this album, for the most part, this is a thicker metal sound which elevate which elevates the whole band, I feel. And this is... The, I think this is the best record they've done. And I loved The Warmth of a Dying Sun and I thought Eternal Forward Motion was really good. 
this is a, I think this is like a special metal record this year. I, I love this. This is, mate, this is like punch drunk on fight riffs. This is, there is a fight riff <laughs> around every single corner, but not to the point of it eventually becoming monotonous. It's built so well. It's written incredibly intelligently. And when you think about the fact that Employed Serve are going to tour with a Gajira, I like to think that that tour is going to coalesce with this new thicker metal sound and hopefully, and I'm quite confident that it will, bring them just a huge new stream of fans because Lord, mate, is this album great. This album's so good. It is. It is really, really good. Um, it's really well written. It's really um, progressively written. It's really well mixed. Um, and I think a great example of that is you take the opener, Universal Chokehold. Yeah. It's an atmospheric opening. It's a transcendent massive chorus but it's also got the employed to serve tropes that we've come familiar with it's got a terrific riff it's a there's a frantic guitar uh lead passage that mirrors that riff in there as well there's a nice transition it's really really incredible and it, it keeps getting that that opening track it keeps going on to different sections of the song where i'm thinking surely it's going to end and go back to a chorus and fade out and then there's another idea there's another progression um, and it's it's really really incredibly impressive. Um, I, I felt the same way with a song, um, two songs later. Well, a song and a bit later, "Twist the Blade." I thought that was fantastic as well. And they've they found a, a a guitar tone that they weren't using in the last couple of albums. There's um there's like a Devil Driver, All Hope Is Gone era Slipknot groove to some of their riffs where it's kind of like sludgy, light, new metal type of feel to what they're doing. And I think it really, really suits them. Um, and I think there's a gap in the market for that type of band. Um, using the solo in Twisted Blade as a repeating loop was really, really impressive. Yeah, I love that. Love that. It was really, really good. Um, by the time I'd got to the end of that song, I'm like, all right, this is really, really good. Same with Sun Up, Sun Down. Just a great riff. There's a real weight to it. Um, and... Again, there's just there's just terrific moments here throughout. There's, I, I love I love the fact that they can slip the thrash number in there with the mistake. I love I love the groove on "Don't Need You." That breakdown on the on "We Don't Need You" is just terrific. It made me think that they're like a kind of at times like that they're they're one of the more Ron Seal metal albums that you just you get that consistency. You know you know the type of metal you're gonna get, the type of riff, the type of breakdown, and they absolutely deliver that without any issue whatsoever. But again, they go away from it. Like Mark of the Grave, that opening riff on Mark of the Grave found like sounded like a mid to late career kill switch engage riff. Yeah. Where it had that like metalcore feel. And that's something that they've not experimented with recently. And that you're all dead to me coming back with the mosh call at the end and also the start of the second verse. I thought that was terrific. That was cold. Um, there's like moments where it sounds a bit like Slayer on some of the guitar work on War Ender, and it finishes with like this dystopian, clean song standalone, which is just marvelous. And there are so many moments where they we've talked about how difficult this is to, to simultaneously appeal to your fans that want you to sound like their first album, and also fans that are looking for the next thing, like me and you, who are uh, you say punch drunk with fight songs, but I'm punch drunk with, with repetitive metal for the most part. Um, and they they have found a nice balance between catering to their initial audience and also appealing to a new one because I enjoyed Employed to Serve, but I wouldn't, they don't do enough for me to be like one of my all-time favorite bands. But this kind of album does this the these are the sort of albums that really get me as a metal listener because I like I like bands that you know have a wider palette of what they can do. 
um, because I don't know. I just, I just, I don't always enjoy the albums that are like one idea, one style. Uh, we're good at this repeated and you throw because I do, I do lose interest. Whereas this does not allow you to do that. And I think that's going to be a massive thing for them, especially as they are really, now you listen to this album, isn't the Kajira, isn't Kajira the perfect band? Like, oh my, yeah, yeah. When, they, when they sound like this, like if you're a Kajira fan for almost exactly the same reasons as you're going to like this Employed to Serve album, because it contains that beautiful blend of drum centered uh, groove, but also there's a, there's an intricacy and there's a, there's a melody that doesn't actually sacrifice any of the heaviness as well, which was particularly noticeable on uh, the Chokehold opener, um, which I thought was, again, again, I think uh, I think that is probably the highlight of the album for me. Not to insist that the rest of it goes downhill from that point. I just think it's just a just a terrific song. I, I do think that Employed to Serve have made a, a real step forward and probably a necessary one at this stage. Well, just to underline exactly what Universal Chokehold does, that clean electric guitar start is a really different move for employed to serve. And I immediately, I immediately found it really refreshing. And that's what five seconds into the new record, immediately I felt refreshed and ready to like really experience where employed to serve were going to go. Now, if they would have opened the record with exist, the track that follows universal child and exist is a bit more classic employed to serve. It's got like that kind of pinching riff sound behind Justine's cutting vocals. That's not to say I wouldn't have still been immediately in on the record because Exist goes hard, but Universal Chokehold really brings this new palette to the table that I can say, if you'd have asked me five ways that I think the new Employee to Serve album would start, I would not have said with a clean electric guitar. (laughs) I just wouldn't have. I I wouldn't have made that call, but I, I love that immediately the album starts off bold. And, mate, there are more bold moments on this record you know, twist the blade again, kind of unusual for employed to serve to start with the backing vocals that then takes a leap into the lead riff, but pulled off brilliantly. And I think, mate, you mentioned we don't need you. My God. Not only is Justine's vocal delivery fantastic on that track, there's the respect where respect is due line where she's so visceral and there's real power and rawness in her voice but there are two breakdowns on that song that kind of bookend each other (laughs) they are are absolutely ridiculous like one breakdown comes in like a minute from the end and then it gives it just just a little bit of breather and a little bit of space and then another breakdown comes in just in a slower tempo and it is literally like mind crushing tracks like mark of the grave go full metal in parts with the rhythm sound and a cleaner vocal. And it, again, it's bold, but it works because it's got this like thick, chunky metal riff, which is just deliciously infectious. There's a gorgeous solo in the middle eight that drops into this kind of low and slow sludge sound. And what this is the first employed to serve record, I feel, where you, you would go into the next track, really not having a great idea of what's what's going to come. If The Warmth of a Dying Sun was the first Employed to Serve album you ever heard, after a couple of tracks, you would just get that this is going to be a really, really high quality metallic hardcore record. For, from this, you know, you'd listen to Universal Chokehold and then you'd listen to Exist directly after. And they're two songs that oppose each other quite strongly. And that puts you in a great position of not literally not knowing what's going to come. Dude, how brilliant is the title track on this album as well? This is a funeral, that mosh call. And the riff comes in the middle eight to change the tempo. 
oh, and the final breakdown is the best on the record. So it's amazing fluctuating build and then one like Titanic size payoff. I said this band are amazing. I, I've got so much love and time for employed to serve. I just, I think they're so, so excellent. I agree. This is, this is a really, really good album. And I expected to be tempering your compliments going into this, saying things like, you know, it's really good, but what else is there? Um, where else can this band go? Is this a slightly better or slightly not as good version as their last two albums? That that type of that type of stuff, because that's the narrative that you tend to go in when you get three albums that are following the same theme. You do start to think, okay, where's the ceiling here? And this is not this is not that at all. This is this is a real tangible step out, and I think a, I think a massive step forward for them. This is this is a really I agree with you. If we um, were just limiting our top ten albums of the year to just uh, new and extreme metal this would be very near the top yeah it would and in terms of release yeah. this year um if not in and around sort of top three to five it is it is really that good um and i think that is a tremendous credit for them and they're another band that hopefully uh, 2022 will bring greater success to because they've worked incredibly hard on building that and they appear to be taking they appear to be taking another step forward. I'm very, very, very impressed by this. I think this is really, really terrific. I think there's something to be said for Justine and Sammy again. Justine vocalist and uh, Sammy backing vocalist slash guitarist. I think those two owning slash running Church Row Records as may have added a little bit more like stardust to this record because I think. I can only assume owning a record label, Justine and Sammy now have like real industry now experience of what they want from a band that they are not responsible for, but are linked to contractually. And I think you having that experience going into this record will really give them a larger picture of what they could achieve and what they could give to their record spine, their record label spine farm here. And I think those that kind of thing becomes really apparent in the moments where employed to serve do take something like kind of bold and but make it really, really work, such as twist of the blade i do actually want it to be said though that at the moments where employed to serve do do the thing that you would expect them to have done maybe from 2017 on tracks like the mistake and world ender then it's amazing because the the mistake is kind of like the one of the few moments where employed to serve go full 100 percent turbo chaos sound and it's like it's incredible. The blast beats, winding guitars, Justine's once again killer rasping vocals, the full works, brilliant. And World Ender, just for my closing point here, I am absolutely obsessed with the opening riff from that song. It is the hardest rhythm riff that I've heard in a long time. I am absolutely all the better, man. So good. Uh, this record's amazing. Employed to server, amazing. This record, I'm confident, will do great things for them, and it should do great things for them. I think you just made a, you made a great point, Sam. If you're a Gajira fan, you're going to see Employed to Serve open for them, and you're going to leave talking about that band. And no doubt, you'll still you'll also talk about Alien Weaponry and of course Gajira, but you will leave that gig saying, "Man, that opening band, Employed to Serve, weren't they great?" Because this album is a superb, superb metal record. Completely echo that sentiment. Let us move on, Sam, uh, to Sleep Token. It's going to get the time written down here, 42.30. Right, okay, so uh, very, very interesting moment of the podcast, Sam. Sleep token, this place will become your tomb 
It is out on September 24th. Also, via Spy Farm Records. What a time to work at Spy Farm Records, right? Uh, it is the band's second album and the follow-up to 2019's Sundowning. So, Sleep Token, mate, I, I don't think there are many moments that are going to stand out to me for as long as we do this podcast as much as those that that opening day when I told you about Sleep Token, I was like, right, we're reviewing this album called Sunday by Sleep Token. 90% of it is already out on Spotify because they've released each song weekly. Listen to it. Let me know what you're saying. And within like five minutes, you were like, dude, this is, I can't believe this. This is amazing. And me and you just went on and on basically all morning talking about the record. We saw them live. That only kind of enhanced our love and adoration for the band. They are a real unique entity in alternative music, which is incredibly difficult to do. They're not the first band to wear masks, but they're the first band that I obviously we weren't around for the real boom of Slipknot. By the time me and you got in, by the, by the time I got into Slipknot, I already knew who all the members were. I never want to find out who the Sleep Token members are. I think their anonymity is a real real cool thing about them i think the the fact that some of their label executives and some of their management still don't know what they look like they're fully fully buying to the concept and that concept is most like is most closely linked to vocalist vessels kind of vision for the band now what i want to say and ask you kind of going into this record sam Sundowning was like the cool new toy that we've never really seen before. It was, I guess it was kind of like being four years old and seeing Buzz Lightyear on the shelf and being like, what is that? That looks amazing. That guy's got wings. Like we were listening to Sundowning like, oh my God, this is really cool and outlandish and out there. Because of that, Sam, do you feel underwhelmed at all by this record? And if you do, how closely linked is that to the idea that Sleep Token aren't the shiny new toy anymore, and now they're just building on a concept that was already laid and heard. Underwhelmed is a tough word um, because I still think this is excellent. Right. Um, but I'll, it's not as good as Sundowning, but Sundowning was arguably one of the best albums of the decade. So it's kind of like following the alternative music's equivalent of, of Mona Lisa. As far as I was concerned, it was just, how, how would you, you know, draw another woman? Cool. Um, it's, it's a tough one. Um, I don't think it though, it's just because of, of Sleep Token's lack of sheen that I don't think it's there that they're no longer the new band because I was incredibly excited to hear this. Yeah. And if anything, my anticipation for the second album had been built because the first one had been so good. Um, it's not as good because it's not as good. Um, not because of any sort of psychological barriers that are placed on myself in advance of listening to the record. If anything, my my expectations were higher because because of the the, the, the success of Sundowny. But then looking back, um, I was talking to Jack about it. That Sundowny felt like an event with the singles being released the way that they were, and you could tell there was a real confidence in the band with their first album and there was like a significant gap between the singles that they'd released as EPs. And then there was a long period of time, like two years or so where it's clear that they were piecing stuff together to release in this type of way. Obviously this is with the hindsight as I'd heard, I'd heard them before the album came out before me and you decided to review them, but not 
not in the same depth or extent whatsoever. I'd heard they did very good cover of Hey Yar and a couple of other tunes. Um, but moving moving towards moving towards this, um, I yeah, underwhelming is a tough one for me to agree with. I, I think it is. I think it is eighty five percent as good as Sundowning. I think the middle chunk of this album doesn't quite match up to the first uh, to the middle section of Sundowning. Um, but that I think emphasizes how great that first album was and how really I have not experienced a band that have gone from literally nobody knows who they are to this is one of these are one of the most exciting bands I've ever known in the course of 18 months. That trajectory I don't think I've I've really seen um in this era, actually. I also think that calling this record underwhelming would be harsh. However, I feel like that conversation is uh, going to be an inevitable one because I'm with you that this isn't as good a record as Sundowning, but and that immediately sounds like a criticism, but then you have to contextualise that with how could it be? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I'm just... I'm not sure really how Sleep Tone could have created something that that sat on that same barrier as Sundowning. But maybe not for you, but for me, Sundowning felt so unique that I couldn't help but just feel overwhelmed with a sense of enjoyment in how different it was. And hearing Vessel's voice for the first time and just being kind of like stargazing it. How, how is this person doing this? I, I can't believe the depth and dexterity of this person's voice. And obviously when you listen then to this place will become your tomb, I would, I'm going in kind of wanting another gods, wanting another sugar, wanting another blood sport, wanting another the offering. And this album doesn't deliver as consistently as Sundowning does, but when it hits its moments, my God, Sam, this album is incredibly moving. I would agree. I would agree. I, I was saying to you two or three weeks ago, um, because I'd, I had a little bit more time than yourself um, to listen to the album a couple of weeks ago when we first got sent it, and I um, tried to quickly jump in. And we, we were speaking on the way to a gig and I, I turned around and said to you, man, it's bookended by two classics. Yeah. Two, yeah. Uh, two, yeah. two utter masterpieces. Um, Atlantis, I would actually, Atlantic, sorry, I would actually go further and say that that's the best sleep token song I've ever heard. I think it is. I think I agree with you, Sam. I um, think it's the best song they've done. Which we've just said that it's not as good as Sundowning, but there's a song in it that's better than anything Sundowning's yeah, produced. Yeah, yeah. So there's a juxtaposition there. Obviously one song doesn't make an album, but this by no means is a disappointment. Um, it'd be like if you said to me, I always use the Metallica analogy because I know them best, but if you said to me, Masterpiece is the best album, but one is my favourite Metallica song, and I think that's the best song I've ever written, I wouldn't argue really with that. I'd be like, cool, yeah, that, that, yeah. fair enough, that's a good shout. And this is the way I feel about this. This is just uh, another masterpiece. Um the, the piano at the start is is gorgeous, utterly, utterly gorgeous. And the way uh, Vessel's voice floats in and around those notes before the before the final crescendo is just, it, it is dazzling. Um, I, I had goosebumps listening to that. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the first time, real, real goosebumps, hair standing up 
on the back of my neck and on my arms and stuff. It was, it's that affecting. And it's the sort of song that make you tug a friend of yours and say, you've got to hear this. I don't care. And make you grab people close to you and say, can you try this and listen to this? And Sleep Dark did that the first time. I remember showing parents and friends like Levitate when I first heard it and thinking I've never, I've never quite heard a band like this. And um, I feel that way with Atlantic. And I think that's, that, that's there again. Um, and I feel that way with the concluding number, which I wish was seven minutes long. The, yeah. fact, the fact that that ends at three minutes, 21 seconds, I think is like a crime um, because it's just utterly gorgeous. And again, when Vessel finds a certain melody um, that allows him to sort of show off his, his delicate range and the band can apply these sort of textured sounds over what is going on, um, it's just utterly capturing this like syncopated looping vocal. He's able to just effortlessly come across and some of the lyrics are just fantastic. Um and there's many, many, many more highlights for me. I think obviously the singles are great. Alkaline's terrific and Love You Want is fantastic. Alkaline is a classic Sleep Token song that could have yeah. fit on Sundowning quite easily. Yeah. It's got every, if, if we could say that Sleep Token have tropes after two albums, uh, but it's got the electric keyboard sound, the unique vocabulary that like you can tell Sleep Token write the lyrics because it feels like he swallowed a thesaurus, like using words like missile dying, like nobody does that. Um, like the thunderous staccato guitar where it's metal, but not quite. And him, his vocal looping over the top of that metal uh, vocalist, like hypnotic, hypnotic, unabated. The contrast is always something that Sleep Token have been a master of. And uh, masters of. A love you want is is almost exactly the same. It's a well chosen single. It's a beautiful chorus, uh, and the crescendo at the end of this. Do sleep? Do, do a band do better end of song creden, uh, crescendos than Sleep Token, where they've got three or four different vocal lines ongoing? If there is a band that does that better, I haven't heard them. And, and that's just fantastic. But the problem that I've got with it is, I hate saying this because I love this band, but Chris, there are four album tracks on here. I was going to say this, dude. Um, there's there's a fair bit on this record that... There's a lot of fluff, mate. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to ask you, the moments on this record that drop into like the dark R&B sound, what are your thoughts on that? For example, like that, the song, what are your thoughts? I like I like it once, but yeah. then after three times, it feels like you've written the same song three times. Right, see, that's, this that's, is where I was going to go. This is where I was going to go. So like that dark R&B sound, which could probably, you know, you could, the, the moments of this record where you can genuinely picture that being from early The Weeknd works, the, right, the, switch, switch yeah. around the vocalists. And it would make sense, right? And the first time you hear that, you like Wicked Man Vessel delivering on something different again. But actually, this this record kind of sits around that concept a few times. I'm curious what you think of the kind of 808 and heartbreak Kanye West effect on Vessel's voice on Fall for Me. Is you it see, for you I, or is I, it not? I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that. Right. Um, yeah. Um, but then then you kind of hear it again later. <laughs> and it, 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 that, that's the thing. Like, apart from the, like, all right, like, all right, like that, Distraction, Descending, Telomeras, all are much of a muchness for me in, in, very, in, very, in very worlds. And they've, I think they're good, they're good songs individually, but when they're chunked together, it does feel like they've written three or four incredible songs and they've written three or four ones that will just fill out the album. Um, and 
I, I, I love this band. I love this band. I do. But could they have waited a year? Did this have yeah. to come out this year? Could they have waited a year and written three more terrific songs, right? And then that one of these, the, be, the best ones, the album track, um, that you just don't really mind that much. Um, and then they have another take aim. They have another offering. They have another blood sport that makes this more special. They could have ridden out Sundown for another six to 12 months. Yeah. Um, but like, this is what I was talking about. So distraction, nice opening chord, nice opening vocal melody, right? It's good, but it feels deliberately stripped back. And it feels like it's looking for a, a, a gear that it doesn't have. And concluding with the fading vocals is lovely, but we've been here before. Yeah. Uh, four for me is lovely. Lovely vocal organ section. I like the co- the contrast, but it misses a final gear, and it just seems to end like after after three minutes. I'm like, oh, there's nothing. That's it. Like, and and I feel that a, a, a well like descending actually is where I actually felt that I think it's the worst song on the album. I felt it was a bit meandering. I really did. Like, I felt oh, this is too similar to distraction. The distractions just happened. Um, I felt that they've gone for a blueprint on this album. They've gone for a style. And whereas, whereas when I thought Sundown, it was 12 individual, 10 to 12 individual songs that were good enough to be singles. That's why they did that. They don't feel it's, I mean, I don't know. Might, 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 maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it, but if no, the I don't band think you are, are but, but if the band are not doing the same thing that they did with Sundown and that built that reputation, right? And they're just bringing out two or three and then dropping it all in a chunk. Doesn't that kind of tell you that the band also don't feel this material doesn't quite match up? Because either that or or it's the world's first example of a band losing confidence in itself after success, which has literally never happened in the history of music or success. Um, it's that that's that's where that's where it comes across to me. Again, we had this conversation um, after one too many cocktails <laughs> the weekend, shall we say? And I, 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 I was saying that I think this is really, really good at its best. But the re- there's moments of this that are like as good as Sundowny, but there's a lot of it that's like 60%, 70% as good. And that that's actually the largest chunk. Like the songs that are the highlights, there's less of those than this middle bit. There's like a fatty center from like tracks maybe four to eight or so. And I, I could I could go without um, if you release this as an EP and said, we'll see you in a year, and it was just Love You Want, Alkaline, Atlantis, and Missing Limbs, I'd be salivating. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely salivating. And the others are just extras or whatever. But obviously not going to do that. So my conclusion is a couple of things. And again, again, excellent, excellent album, really. And the highlights are enough that if we were still doing scoring, this is an eight and a half. Yeah, the yeah. Highlights, yeah, yeah. Because... The, because an album with this, with some of the songs on here, can't be, can't be a bad album. It just, just weighs too much. But there are four, there are four songs that, if I wasn't reviewing it, and I was just listening to the background, it, they just kind of meld into another. And I've listened to this, you know, four or five times um, over the last couple of weeks um, because I actually wanted to do this. The first couple of times I heard it, I was like, oh, I love this song this song and the rest i'm not too sure i need to re-listen and then it didn't quite get me then and nothing's 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 changed i literally have got a note here sam that for tell our mayors 
I've, I've literally written, I feel like at this point of the record, this style of song has been played out fully on this album. I never mm. thought I'd say that about a Sleep Token album. I, I know it sounds like a ridiculous thing to say because they've only done one album, but Sundown, it was so varied and, and so infectious that I just assumed there would never be a Sleep Token album that comes out where I would write a note saying, I feel like they've done this enough now on this record because... Again, the dark R&B sound is really cool when it first hits, but it hits a few times. I don't think there was one particular sound or one particular soundscape that hit on on sundown more than like five times. Do you know what I mean? Because it it was just so varied and so different. Mm-hmm. I think what this I think this album would have benefited from another gods or another song in the style of God's Hypnosis, the second track on the album, is, is probably the heaviest on here. And Sleep Token, Sleep Token aren't strange to five-minute plus songs, but that song's got a real like, kind of slick way of building its inten- intensity. And when Vessel drops these kind of hypnotic, psych-style vocals, again, you, you feel kind of whirlwinded in, and the, the breakdown on, on that song is absolutely insane. There's this kind of foul guitar line, which is straight out of Humanity's Last Breath of Jarter book, Awesome. How can you not be in? I like mine. Uh, I think that's a that's a bit of a stunner. Vessels, these are kind of centerpiece, these layered climbing synths, which I really am not sure what else you could want from, from a sleep token song. Vessel is a center point with a synth climb synth climbing behind him. Some of the some gorgeous drum notes on mine as well. I, 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 I don't ever want who that want to know who the member what the members' names are, but I wish I could just say something other than the sleep token drummer, because my god, that guy deserves recognition because he's amazing. That octopus in a cloak at the back of the <laughs> Yeah, he deserves he deserves recognition, man. He's ridiculous. When I mentioned four for me to you, and I I really like that song. I think they did, I think they did a clever thing in having it as the shortest song on the album, because I'm not really sure how where else the track could have been taken once it gets past that like two and a half minute point. Uh, that was a clever a clever uh, note. I think that High Water is a great tune that would have done better being higher up on the track listing because it offers something quite different to the rest of the record. And I think that instrumental in the middle eight has got an astonishingly good riff. It's kind of crushing, but also like really pristine clean. I think the album would have benefited from that being higher up to kind of break up the, again, I'm going to say like I'm kind of repeating myself here, but the dark R and B sound. But missing limbs, Sam. If you're going to finish a sleep token album from now on, I think they should all be acoustics, <laughs> because it will all be that one. I listen to that album. Is that a- album goes forever. Oh my god, missing limbs is. There is no adjective for how beautiful that song is. It is sleep token have just messed else. around and written the greatest pop punk acoustic song ever. Yeah, pretty like, much. Like it's 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 perfect. It's yeah. utterly perfect. And I think Sam. I said to you that I'm, I think underwhelmed still is a harsh, a harsh kind of adjective to use to describe this album. But with that said, that's my personal opinion because I think that this is still an eight out of 10 and it would be, you know, it would be like one of the astronomical achievements full stop in music in the 21st century had Sleep Token and followed up Sundowning with another album on the same level of. But I can't help but escape the feeling, Sam, that some fans aren't going to be as welcoming and as fair 
and are kind of going to look at this as by no means a misstep or a backstep, but kind of look at this as a sideways step. What do you think? Is it a sideways step? Probably. Well, if it hasn't advanced, then yeah, then it's not backwards. There's no other. Well, yeah, no other alternative. Yeah, by definition, um, it would be a sideways step, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'm. Do you miss the screaming? There's no screams. There's no deathly vocals at all. I, I think <coughs> that. I think it could have done with the gods. Take out descending, take out descending, and put a gods on. Do you know what I I mean? I think he could have done with like a few songs where he dips into that as part of what the song already is. Like I kept thinking, like "Love You Want" that repeated the chorus at the end, and I was expecting him on one of these choruses to do that thing that bands do, where the the vocal change, the vocalist changes the style of his voice when he does the melody again, and he sings the same chorus in like a rougher way, or he allows it where he allows a rough vocal to go over and cascade around the main melody or whatever it might be. He just doesn't. It just gets repeated. Um, it appears to be it appears to be a song, uh, a few songs that are deliberately designed to be more malleable for a listener, um, which I think is actually going to isolate a few sections of their fans that actually like Sleep Token because they were a metal band who also did some melodic stuff really, really well, as opposed to a melodic band that also dip into some metal stuff and they appear to have switched that round on this which is not surprising i mean it's inevitable that bands do that do this sort of thing but yeah it misses it misses an edge and a grittiness that sundowning had in, a, in abundance that this unfortunately doesn't with that said just as we close off here sam i, I do just want to reiterate that this is a great record nonetheless it's just absolutely it's not sundowning. We weren't. We were reasonable for us to expect it sundown. It, it to be sundowning, but there is. Let's just call it what it is. This is a sideward step, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a sideward step nonetheless. Before my interview with Jake Diffenbach from Rivers of Nile comes in, Sam, let us talk about the new Rivers of Nile album. It is called The Work. It is out on September 24th via Metal Blade Records. It is the band's fourth record and the follow-up to 2018's Where Elves Know My Name. I feel that Rivers of Nile are one of, if not the best, progressive death metal band that we've got right now. Where Elves Know My Name was this beautifully written record that intertwined elements of jazz with death metal in a, in a really seamless, kind of mind-blowing way. Rivers of Nile aren't the first band to do that. I, Harson, have used like kind of jazz elements in their music as well before. But Rivers of Nile were the first band to do that, and I felt it with such effect. I remember sending you... Where else now my name? I was like, dude, you've got to hear this. This is ridiculous. Some of the stuff they pull off here. I don't remember us ever really talking about the album before, but I remember the kind of sparks and bits that you heard. You all, you seem to be quite captured by and, and really kind of moved by the impressive songwriting nature that Rivers of Nile would just boast. <laughs> and just boast like whenever they felt like it. So when it comes to the work... And we'll look, you know, it's going to follow up this album, Where Else Now My Name, that was really kind of grasped and held onto by the death metal community. I went and saw Rivers of Nile. I've seen them a couple of times, actually. 
on both occasions, people are walking around with like inflatable saxophones and swinging them around while they play. When I saw them headline the Birmingham show, they actually brought a saxophonist out with them. It might have actually been the saxophonist that plays on that played on the record. I can't remember off the top of my head. Regardless, they're looking out into the crowd and they're seeing you know, everyone holding, throwing inflatable saxophones and everyone's really bought into this concept. And I can't imagine how difficult it must have been to watch all that happen and then have the inner steel to say, yeah, uh, this is great and everyone's caught on. We're not going to do this in the next record, though. They'll, we'll do a bit of it, but we're going to do something else in the next record. And one of the things that I want to kind of nail down in this review is that the, these Rivers of Nile albums have kind of followed this apocalyptic concept of uh, the you know, one record was about the world ending the uh, where else now my name followed up with this one final sentient being that is the last person left on earth and i am take you know they haven't explicitly said what the work is about but i've taken the work as this kind of rebuilding of humanity so from that alone rivers of nile are this incredibly bold brave band that are doing these apocalyptic concept records and to have the guts to see the reaction to where else now my name and then specifically choose to not then follow that structure on the follow-up album when there's more momentum behind the band than there has ever been before takes real inner steel i feel and i believe sam that that decision has paid them back a dividends because i think that there that there are parts of the work that for me uh, act like borderline genius i, I think that this album is reaches intelligent levels of songwriting that is difficult for me to really talk about. We spoke about Colors 2 by Between the Buried and Me, and I think that's probably going to be the most musically impressive album we'll hear this year. But in terms yeah. of delivery, in terms of delivering what I like to hear, as well as making it this really intelligent, hard to pick apart record, I think this is one of the great 50 minutes of that that I've heard since getting into extreme metal I, I think this is really 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 brilliant i'm i've been fully in on rivers of nile for a long time so i suppose really in terms of gauging where we are let's start with you who has been on the bandwagon for a lot less time or has maybe never even been on the bandwagon Mate, the work by rivers of nile what are we feeling it's good with some great moments but it is not in my opinion as altering as you feel that it is talk to me uh, okay um i think this is an impressive album but it's a bit of a bamboozling one where um for me for me it's impressive musically but actually i'm not as i'm not as in on the songwriting styles and structures as yourself um i like it i think it's i think i think it's clever i think some of these songs are really well written there's some massive songs on here I think having Tower with the piano beginning the with the with the explosive um, introduction like it's a nice foreshadowing of what's going to happen on the album later. Um, but I'll I'll be honest, I didn't enjoy the following two songs. I didn't think Dreaming Black Clockwork was uh, or or White did did enough for me personally. I felt that at times the songwriting can be a bit fractured um, and sort of randomly assembled. Um, but by the time I got to the midpoint of the album, to the later section. Uh, I thought he got a lot, lot better. I thought Focus was was terrific. I thought Clean um, was really, really good. It was a beautiful solo in Clean. Uh, really nice transitional build-up. And I thought that was the first truly impressive song where I could see where you were coming from. Um, I think Void, from which now sound escapes, is the best song on the album. 
Um, great clean uh, song overall. Uh, lovely juxtapositions from heavy to cleans. There's massive chords. That section around the three and a half minute, even before the sax solo comes in, because it, like you say, it does become a gimmick after a while. And you don't want to write songs that kind of make people feel like wrestler intros where they just like have to react in this jokey kind of way. You want to be taken seriously. So I'm aware of that. Um, but the, it's the central figure to those huge chords that get returned back to at the end. Um, I love the chaos and the rage at the end of that song. I, I really think that's that that Ford which now saying escapes is really, really terrific. Um, and Tower 2 is a wonderful solo at the end of that. A more question mark with the the, the tempo changes and, and the anger, I think, I think is really, really good, really, really good. Episode, that conclusion at the end, the way that it builds up to that, that transcendent conclusion is 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 really, really fantastic. Especially the way that song was uh, that solo has been constructed in like a very melodic Pink Floyd dark side of the moon sort of feel to it and i love the melodic section of maybe one day and the the ambition of terrestera four um, with some terrific moments and tempo changes and the concluding guitar melody is is really 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 good um but overall for me at times it does feel like some disparate ideas that are loosely connected together by a band that are trying to show off their ambition more than a, a singularly connected idea all too often. And that, for me, created the level of distance. And as impressed as I was by some of the musicalities I often am with bands of this nature, I, I'm going to upset you, but this isn't, this is like 70% as good as Oceans of Slumber for me in that kind of proggy death metal kind of world. Um, just It's just horses for courses. I still think this is really good. And like I said, there are three utterly terrific songs um, the void in which no song Sam makes, um, and focus and episode are terrific, terrific um, progressive death metal songs. I don't think the rest of it, as an as an actual cohesive unit, is like an album of the year contender for me. So your oceans of slumber call has upset me much less than you would have imagined to do so. Because, dude, this is the exact reason why we do this podcast, man, and. Uh, it's kind of better sometimes when we disagree because I, I find it actually astonishing that you don't like weight because I think that weight is, I think that weight is one of the moments where the album's real genius is held for me because I think the melody to the track is really nothing short of stunning. And remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about a progressive death metal band. And I, I've just said the melody to this track is nothing short of stunning. That that, sen- that sentence should be something of an oxymoron or at least a juxtaposition. Yeah, that-, so that, it, uh, that shouldn't be something that I can say. But I, I feel like Rivers of Nile on this record, they don't just make that concept work on weight. They do it They do it more times than I'm able to count. You mentioned maybe one day. Dude, Maybe One Day is an acoustic guitar song. That song could have been sung by Charlie Simpson on one of his solo albums. For for 90% of it, that song could have been sung by Charlie Simpson on one of his solo albums. It's an acoustic song. They're a progressive death metal band, but it's amazing. And the the backing vocals on Maybe One Day, I, I just sat and listened. It was like, this is like stunning. It's so, so brilliant. The drums as well. Rivers of Nile have gone th- gone through a few drummers for uh, for whatever reason, but I, I think that that uh, there's moments like where Jared Klein here is, is ridiculous on this album. You mentioned that the void from which now a sound escapes is your favorite song. I would agree. 
that kind of piano soft opening how many death metal bands can make that work i mean please it, it breaks into this kind of techno space sound again how many death metal bands can make that work the background clean vocals are a fitting backdrop uh jake who who i interview and the interviews come up at the end of this episode his range i've never heard as good as this i feel like this is probably his best moment. This record is his best moment. And from the void from which Noah Sound escapes is his best moment on this record. You, I thought that maybe you wouldn't be as in on this record as me, but I thought that the moment that would surely grab you is Terraria 4. You did mention that you liked that song, didn't you? I did. I did. Um, I thought it was, it was incredibly well constructed and who doesn't love an 11 minute death metal song yeah but I want to I want to come back to you because I think the more interesting narrative is how much you enjoy this I was I, I was surprised listening to this album how much you love this this is so passive for someone of your taste <laughs> like as an album like I, I don't mean it is a criticism it is not I mean it's heavy in moments but Chris there's so much of this where you are waiting for the for the for the for the crescendo and stuff. And that is usually something that's been such an issue for you before where you're like, when is this taking place? Why am I here for four yeah. and a half minutes? And, and there's, there's a lot of this. I'm saying about 40% of this is clean guitar, isn't it? Where there with slow vocals in the midst of like this chaos and stuff, which usually I'm telling you is the better. The, how, yeah. how, how has this happened? Because I listened to this twice that or, or, or all the way through in the last two days and I came away and I love this type of stuff. Usually I came away thinking at times for me, it's a bit meandering. What about this, especially in comparison to other progressive death metal, where you're saying a lot of things like no other death metal band have done this, but if other metal death metal bands have done this, you might have not have enjoyed it. What about this has won you over? What is so special about this band doing this style that you've been so previously critical of? Because I think Brody Utley, the lead guitarist is the best like i think the payoffs are the best payoffs they might you do you know what i mean like if we just specifically pick wait a song that i was talking about and kind of lathering over and you were like yeah, it's all right in it but like in, in <laughs> way on wait there's a real like I, I, i've literally written the words gorgeous beautiful and stunning so many times in my notes here it's literally just like just re- repeat after repair after repeat but the, the melody is is really really like ethereal beautiful and then eventually when it all builds the tonality into the that it takes in the final two minutes there's this awesome solo that turns into like this epic kind of rock track with skyscraper vocals and the payoff if you don't if you're not into the melodic side of rivers of nile just wait just just no, no pun intended but just wait on that song because the the final moments make it all so worth it you were talking about uh, focus and clean and for me again that the same thing can be said there specifically on focus one of the things that's brilliant about this album one of the things that i love in in amongst the million of things that i love about this album is that only on track four is it that the first time you get a feel that this could have maybe fit on Where Else Know My Name in, t- in terms of style, tempo and punch? And considering that record was such a big deal for Rivers of Nile, their ability to take this kind of diversion they have on the first three tracks that precede this song, I think is, is really bold and commendable. And that's not the only reason why it's good. It's great because I think it's great. And what the undeniably 
Focus is a really, really heavy, brooding, brilliant track. But the melody of the chorus that comes back and forth is so capturing. There's just something about the way Rivers of Nile perform this and they structure these songs that just gets me. From the void from which sound, now sound escapes, it goes, there's a literally a really heavy transition directly into more. I think more is probably the heaviest song on the record. It's straight up death metal, zero messing around. It's a healthy three and a half minutes that doesn't try to be overly intelligent, goes for the throat. That's one of the few moments on this record where you where you can just listen to that song and it and you haven't really got to think much about it. The rest of this album kind of really forces you to really think about what's going on. And on episode, there's a start to that song, which I just don't think many other bands can do or they can attempt, but it wouldn't work. The really stripped back ethereal style, it kind of strikes as like a foreboding, like equally foreboding and intelligent in equal measures. And it lifts into this like aggro aggressive beat. And for you, that hasn't worked, but well, at least as well as what I'm making it as. But for me, the climax is always worth waiting around for, even if the melody doesn't grab you. But in my case, the melody is some of the genius, genius moments on this album. I think that any people will listen to maybe one day, and it's gonna be it's an acoustic song, pretty much by a death by a progressive death metal band. But it, I think it's brilliant. It's like genius. It's amazing. How, how could they possibly have made an acoustic song work for themselves? How, how is that possible? I'm sorry, dude, but we were talking, we were reviewing Carcass two weeks ago. Carcass couldn't do an acoustic song. No, no, they couldn't. They, they would, and they, nor do Carcass want to or try to. I'm just making the, I'm trying to, I'm like bordering my claim of how many bands could even try this. And I think that on Terraria 4, the long instrumental that keeps you waiting and waiting and waiting. And then it immediately just drops into the hardest death metal sound you could possibly ask for. The, the, the scream of our work is never ending. It's this chugging groove lead rhythm riff. It's so cool. There are more sound transitions and tempo changes in that 11 minutes than should be possible. It's so brilliantly written that you mentioned passive. Maybe in moments this record is passive, but, if it captures you, it doesn't feel passive because the moments of melody, I'm stargazing. And then the moments where they're doing their death metal thing, I'm banging my head and trying not to flip my desk over. I think I think the record's so brilliant. I, I love it so much. I, am I surprised that you're not in love? Um, I don't know. Partly, yes, because... <laughs> Because in terms of song length and in terms of like idea and ambition, you I don't care thought... what it is, just make it long. Shout song. <laughs> in terms of song length and ambition, I thought that this would be right in down your wheelhouse. But it's worth mentioning that I was already completely hooked on Rivers because I think Where Else Now My Name is brilliant. And I'm not sure what level of exposure you had to the album, apart from me chucking you the odd song. So I was already so in and I was already so like buying into the idea of what they could do next with that sound. And I'm going to be honest with you, dude, if they did Where Else Now My Name 2.0, I'd still be sitting there saying, how great is this? But they really haven't. And they've progressed into this kind of space sound that is that has just captured me more than any prog album I've heard in our time doing this podcast. I think Rivers are a 
just ridiculous band and I think this is a ridiculous ridiculous album I've been in love with it so much so you tweeted two weeks ago that this was your obviously this was the album you were referring to that yeah you were yeah about. it's the album of the year you didn't say that but two and two yeah is that still the case well yeah like two a few weeks ago we received the album really really early because of the interview that I was doing with Jake that comes at the end of this episode and I put out a tweet like I think I've heard the album of the year um, it's September and September's got this insane, crazy schedule. So you, it's anyone's guess who I'm talking about. I could be talking about Mastiff or Thrice or Rivers of Nile or Spirit Box or Employed to Serve or Sleep Token. It's crazy. So far, dude. Hey, dude, every time I die, I've got an album coming out. Um, I haven't heard the Spirit Box album yet. There's still some big hitters to come. For me, this is my, this album moves me unlike anything else I've heard this year. Okay. When it when it comes to the time where we're really putting our list together, I will do my album of the year list based off the album that I enjoy listening to the most and not the one that's the most technically impressive. Because if we do album of the year based off what's most technically impressive, let's just give it to colours too now. Because there's, yeah. there's there's no way we're gonna there's no way an album's gonna come out that's more technically impressive than Colors Two. So if, if we're yeah. based on that, let's just give it to Colors Two now. I'm gonna base mine off the album that I enjoy listening to the most. This is the album that's that's moved me more than anything else I've heard this year in terms of me sitting there quietly thinking I'm so in love with this and I'm so into what this album tries to do. So as we speak, I probably would go for album for this being my favorite album of the year, but. And here's a what an amazing thing this is to say, Sam. Got a long way to go yet, and a lot of, a lot more records to come. And also, dude, I'm gonna go back through the list, aren't I? I'm gonna sift back through the list, and there's gonna be moments where I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, that album was amazing. All oh, this song's amazing. So I'm not gonna say oh, it's the album of the year. Let's call it now. It's the definitely the album that's moved me the most. The work, Rivers of Nile, brilliant. Fair enough. That is where we're going to leave off the episode. Uh, my God, Sam, that was a mammoth task, wasn't it? Four records to review. Um, I'd like to say, Sam, that that's where the, 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 the podcast is going to let up from here, but I can't make such a promise because we've still got quite a stacked release schedule of which Dying Wish is included in that, and we are going to be reviewing the new Dying Wish album on the next episode. For now, my interview with Jake from Rivers of Nile comes up right now. Thank you so much for sticking around and listening. Uh, please follow us, like, or subscribe, depending on the service you are using. Me and Sam are going to be back in two weeks' time follow us on twitter at noise podcast for now here is my interview with jake Diffenbach from rivers of nile thank you so much for listening we love you we'll see you in two weeks bye so now joined by jake Diffenbach, a vocalist from rivers of nile a band that i have loved for years and this is the coolest thing in the world for me to be interviewing you dude how are you man you okay thank you for coming on Hey, man, it's an honor to be here. I'm doing pretty good, man. Doing pretty good. How you doing, man? Dude, I'm good. I mean, I'm in nowhere near as beautiful a setting as you are right now. Uh, that, yeah, that is I'm, quite a picture. <laughs> Thank you, man. I'm, I'm up in uh, uh, the uh, Pennsylvania uh, forest right now, up behind my house. So wanted to get some peace and quiet for this. <laughs> um, I know you're a busy guy, so I'm going to get us running uh, right away here. I mean, yep. one of the things, one of the many things I love about Rivers of Nile is that I sat down to listen to the work today for the first time, and I went into this, that listening experience with no idea of what to expect. And I feel that that ability to be a, like a kind of musical chameleon is something that really draws me into bands. 
For yourselves, do you feel obliged or compelled to kind of push your boundaries on every single record? Like, will you only be prepared to put something to tape if you know it's pushing you away from your comfort zone? Oh, that's a good question. You know, um, I I'm pretty critical of myself, you know, every album, and I'm always looking for things to improve. I'm always looking for things that I can push myself further than maybe I wasn't able to in the last record. And with this one, I certainly feel um, that happened. So, you know, it, it's one of those things when we came to this record, knowing it's like the fourth one, kind of like the end of this seasonal theme that we've had for, you know, for the past three other records. Um, I really wanted to give this something in my delivery and, and the, you know, the ability to kind of bring the words to life lyrically on the record. Um, I wanted to do all those things um, at my fullest capacity. And I, I, I feel like if I'm not trying to do something better than I've done before, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, it, 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 I'm lacking the ability to keep, to keep building on my, uh, on, on my skill, my craft. You know, I mean, the craft always has to keep getting better at some point or another with, for me as, as a vocalist, you know, yeah. yeah. You mentioned yeah. your vocals then, but we're gonna, I'm going to bring that back up later because there's some stuff that you do on the work that I really, really want to talk to you about. Um, before we get to that, though, like you guys are making it quite clear in interviews around the, in the 2019 mark that the kind of jazz stylings that you push through a lot of on Where Else Now My Name that they might not stick around for the next record. And and the work doesn't necessarily fully abandon like the sax and the jazz elements per se, but they're certainly not as prevalent. Um, when you were performing Where Else Know My Name live and seeing people's reaction to the jazz solos, was there ever any kind of temptation to make them like a staple of your sound? Because I was, I was uh, at your UK tour in Birmingham with Black Crown Initiate. And... The, the reactions to the jazz solos were some of like the biggest reactions of the night. Obviously, the performance was amazing, but people were really, really hyped up for the jazz solos. So when you were seeing that live, was there any temptation to be like, people love this, we should have jazz solos as a staple of our sound going forward? Oh, um, uh, yeah, you know, it, 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 it definitely was something that we were like, wow, this really worked. People are paying attention to it. They're really into it, um, and uh, I, it, it definitely it definitely validated what we may have like been uncertain how how people would accept it. On where else I'll know my name, you know, that being the first time we moved in that direction, but seeing it live and seeing how a lot of people reacted in a positive way definitely made us feel a little bit more comfortable to. To, to, to keep those things in mind with this record that we that we have created not not that they're the sole motivation of, of what we want our music dynamic to be but to know that like it is accepted and people are into it definitely makes it easier to like uh, to be open to doing again you know well yeah. I think it's I think it's really cool that the jazz the jazz solos the sax solos they really really worked on where else now my name and I actually I love the fact that there's only actually like one saxophone solo on the work from what I remember. I love that you guys didn't just repeat the same blueprint again and that the work is really a completely different output from you. And that's bravery and that's what it is to be an artist, right? To push yourself 
and make yourself in these uncomfortable areas? Yeah. Oh, uh, what was the question? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no, no, I, I was accent. I was just carrying on from your point of oh, yeah. not uh, of oh, not yeah. just feeling forced to continue on, and we've got to put jazz solos in uh, and sax solos in every album now because it went well on Where Else Now My Name. Instead, you were like, "That went well. We'll move on," and that's awesome. Absol- oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely, definitely. That, that's that's very much kind of how we thought about it. You know, when it came to that next record. Well. I, I was quite surprised to learn that the writing for the work actually started in 2018. And um, what stopped you from kind of basking in the glow of where Els know my name? Did it feel? Do you feel like you ever really took the time to sit and take in what you achieved on that album? Because if you started writing at the end of 2018, I can't imagine you guys ever took a chance to like sit in the sun and be like, "Wow, we really achieved something special with where Els know my name." Um. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a good question too. You know, because like I, I think a lot of times that we we saturate the the we we saturate the the reverb or or the output effect of what you know that uh, where I've known my name I created. It's like when we're out there touring it, and we're at, literally there getting the response in real time, or you know we're at home and you know, someone that we look up to musically in, in the metal community or someone that even outside of the metal community that really liked anyone, anyone, you know, anyone who's listening to our music, constantly giving us feedback online, you know. So in a way, we, 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 we allow ourselves, I, at least I could speak for me, you know. I, I feel like we, we, we allow ourselves to, like, see how much people really appreciate and, and, and understand it on the level that the listeners have, have understood it as we're still going along working on the next thing. Um, I, I think, I think if I stop and just, you know, stop and just completely soak it up, sometimes might, might disorient, you know, the, the creative flow of keep moving forward and doing the work, you know, in a way, but uh, we definitely, we definitely are grateful and, and take the time. I, you know, to, uh, you know, stop and, and smell the flowers on the side of the road and appreciate, you know, the gratitude that people have when it's there. Um, and it is, it, it is, it is like, it, it's, it's, you know, it's an awing thing for sure. You know, like having that, having, seeing it come that, you know, full circle and that level, you know. As I was kind of doing my research behind the work and getting my, my questions ready, I, I was really interested by something that I saw Brody say in the press notes of the album. And that it wasn't until you added your vocals that he was sure that the record felt fully connected as a whole piece of art. Were you aware at your time of recording the vocals that Brody wasn't 100% set on the sound of the album yet? And was there any kind of concern from you that that could add your vocals to something that might end up not even existing or maybe existing in different form? Um, You know, I think to a certain degree we all kind of like, feel where each other are are like feeling the album as it's in the writing process but we're also equally trusting the process and knowing it's not fully developed yet and to be super critical before it's done um is to kind of like get in the way of the creative process and the creative process and knowing that we've done it we've done it like many many times before this it's even even when we can't fully even when we don't fully aren't sure about about what it is we're doing sometimes we like trust it and just go with it so i i didn't let it get in 
I, I, I might have, you know, maybe felt some of the, the stress and the, and the, the pressure and the living up to this expectation, the uncertainty of this will be good or, or this will be that. But at the same time, I equally felt that we were all confident and really, really like, you know, uh, grounded in what was being built at the present time. You know, so it's it's a weird thing. Just you know, you kind of experience both both sides of it. You know, and you kind of go back and forth with yourself, and you're like, oh man, is 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 this is this what we want it to be? But um, you know, with 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 this time around going to the, into the studio, I was really confident with trusting the process, and a lot a lot of a lot of what we did vocally, I had no idea what it was going to be like, and so we were literally there on the day doing it um you know and i think that actually really expanded the potential of not overthinking about it you know and just giving it this like innovative you know intuitive just jump into an approach you know i i at first i didn't know how i felt about that approach you know like going in doing vocals and and not knowing the material as long as I may have done for the other albums before. Um, but it, it allows it to be alive in a, in a way that, you know, doesn't, we're not leaning on it too much, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? So again, one of the things that I love about Rivers of Nile is like the concepts behind your records. They've always really fascinated me. You know, the conscious seed of light and monarchy discuss the idea of like the extinction of planet Earth. And whereas now my name is all about this like powerful sentient being. Now I've only listened to the work once because I wanted to listen to it. I literally listened to it about 15 minutes ago, finished it. I wanted to listen just before I had this conversation with you. Um, so from one listen, I take the work as being like a depiction of the rebuilding of humanity and the trials and tribulations that would require. Is there again, a more specific concept that you're trying to get across here, or is the work totally open to interpretation? It, it, well, it, it certainly is open to interpretation, um, and um, I like your interpretation uh, as well. It, it, it's definitely something that coincides with, with the representation of putting in time mm. and and doing something and it's like the life mantra of 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 what makes things grow and what makes things alive and um, the creative process of of working with art and 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 doing things in in the name of art and i think this album specifically is you know talking to big you know he's he's a, he's the big mind lyricist behind this. Um, you know it, it is it is more about you know the the the, the appreciation and, and and livelihood of 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 giving giving it to art, but it's 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 the work and the process going going in that direction. And if this album kind of displays different situations and different occasions where fundamentally. And literally, figuratively speaking, you know, work is something that we all know and understand, and our relationship to it goes beyond just like the four to nine job, you know, the mm. four to five job, you know, stuff like that. And um, you know, it's 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 anything that we really want to 
we want to build and we want to be a part of, you know. Um, so it, it's it, in a lot of ways, it is something that's open to interpretation based upon the position that someone takes on the work that they have, you know, with their life and, and, and the different layers of, of, of how they view their life in the process of, you know, doing things, you know. I, it could be a work of art, you know, yeah. and, 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 and in a weird way, it's kind of, I, 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 I don't know how corny that sounds, but like it's, it's kind of in a, in a way with the, with, with the message might, might be here with, with the album, but I, I never want to say the album is specifically this or that, and I never would, you know, I really think it's more important for a listener to have their own interpretation to it, you know, instead of... Uh, instead of kind of like validating it through the lens of someone else that might not make sense to them right away. Yeah. You know what I mean? If that it makes sense, sense to them first. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Um, but yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to say that I prefer the work to L's off of one listen. Um, but I can say I was truly stunned by the album's quality, bravery, craft. Uh, I really, really appreciate your guys insistence on doing something new all the time i mentioned that at the start of the interview i like the idea that i sit with the rivers of nile record and i've got no idea what i'm gonna hear obviously it's gonna be technical it's gonna be technical death metal progressive death metal but i mean in terms of the realms of technical and progressive death metal i never know what you guys are going to do with it so with that said i have to talk to you about weight um which is probably I don't know, probably the closest thing you guys have ever done to a rock song, to my recollection. Um, how did that track get put together, and what was it like when you first heard that mix back for the first time? Because that track which, is amazing, and I was track, stunned which, by it. Which, which track? I'm sorry. Oh, uh, wait. Wait. Oh, wait. Um, you know, uh, the, the first time I heard it, I was like, you know, I... I knew the direction that this album was going in, and 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 the you know, uh, the and, and 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 the majority of most of the songs. When I heard it, I definitely felt that this is something that has that has a very a very new a new aspect of Rivers of Nile kind of embedded in it, and it's and it is it does have that element you know that rock element to it, and you know. Um, I'm sorry. What, what was the question? What was the exact question? <laughs> so, <laughs> I was asking what that what the what it was like putting that track together, how that track got pieced together, and how it felt hearing it back in the final mix for the first time. Oh, it, you know, it was really interesting because when you know when we we first started that track, it we 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 were I'm pretty sure waiting. We thought might have been kind of a uh, a. Uh, like a what is what is that like um like the instrumental electronic music yeah. like like lo-fi it was supposed to be kind of like a lo-fi a lo-fi track and um you know that was like the rough sketch idea i think I, i'm pretty sure i think it was originally so at first i was kind of thinking it was going to be something like that and we might have had uh uh vocals on it that would be completely different than what are on them now and in fact, we didn't have anything like that on the album at all. Um, so in the beginning, I wasn't really sure what it was going to be, but I knew it was something very different than, than any of the other music. If, if anything, it was kind of closer to something in, in line with Terrestria off of, uh, 
off the last record, mm. but, but only in a sense of it being like a, you know, the electronical push with it. But the, I, I would say the process for us, like going through that, that, that song and writing that song um, was kind of revealing to perhaps maybe some of the, the future elements that like Rivers of Nile mm. may, may take on, you know? And uh, it was kind of like, uh, how would I word it? It's kind of like showing us, showing us maybe what the sound may, may be pointing towards in the future, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, it was all new and exciting, you know, for, for each and every one of us. We're all like trying, we all live in different places, chiming in on the chat room, talking about what we think about the songs and stuff like that. And that one definitely had a very peculiar feel to it, you know, for all of us, you know, yeah. Your talent as a vocalist has been clear since day one, um, but there are moments on the work where it's clear you've shown new levels to what you can do, especially on tracks like Focus and Episode, the way that your vocals are balanced against melody and you also doing some melodic vocals yourself. Um, was that something that you decided on the fly or did you specifically want more room to push yourself vocally on the work um i think a little bit of both i think i wanted to push myself a little bit more vocally on, on the work and and be more grounded in the actual emotion you know from every angle that the lyric is speaking from from ang every angle of the verse you know that was holding and uh, I really wanted to to open my voice up just a little bit more. You know, I wanted I wanted it to be a little bit clearer and a little bit more like rounded, in a sense. Um, uh, while still being me, you know. Yeah. I, I I wanted to. I I, I it, in my mind, honestly, there was times when I was in there with that track, and um, I was like, I'm just. This is like as if I'm doing it for the last time. You know, like as if I'm wow. doing it for the last time, you know, because then, because it's like you really give it your all, you know, yeah. you know, if it's, yeah. And, uh, I, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I definitely, there was, there was also things that I didn't know. I didn't know necessarily what ideas I wanted to do for certain parts until I was literally there in the moment. And I kind of like, you know, heard the backtracks of Bigs play down and then, you know, I take it from there and critique it, critique the range or the pitch a certain way that maybe wasn't emphasized in the original layout of the vocals, you know, and, um, and, you know, we're sitting there listening to it, playing it back, not, not really thinking that that's going to be, that's what we wanted, but then hearing it back and be like, wow, that worked. It worked great. And that's how the, something that we didn't expect it to do, you know? So I think it was a little bit of both, a little bit of both for sure, for sure. In terms of your relationship with Adam, how much of that creative process comes down to trust? Because he has to trust you to perform the lyrics in the way that he imagines them to be performed. And I guess you have to trust him to give you lyrics that you feel inspired by. Um, so how much of your relationship with Adam comes down to trust? And is that something that you had to build over time? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You know, it's... Um... You know, me and Biggs know each other for a very long time, and uh, you know we love each other to death. But you know, we definitely have to like, you know, when we're writing, when he's writing stuff, and and you know, um, and I'm and I'm performing stuff, you know, um, we both definitely have to keep keep each other in mind and think about 
what would each other's approach be? And um, are we doing this the way that he would benefit from or that he imagined, you know, um, it's, it's definitely a process for us that we know when, when, when the songs are being created, we, we like to check in with each other on what ideas we think would work. Like, like, you know, if he's writing something, oftentimes he'll, you know, he'll ask me, you know, how do you feel about this part? Or how do you feel about doing the vocal style this way? You know, and, and I'll give him my honest opinion on it or, you know, and I, or, or sometimes, you know, he'll have something written and I'm in there and I ask him his opinion on like how maybe he wants this part specifically to sound. If there's anything specific that he had in mind that maybe he didn't kind of outline with me. I, I think that's important because, you know, when you're writing for someone and someone else, and you're performing someone else's work, you, you, it's, it's important to have, have that, have that understanding of each other. You know, because because if, if if you don't, you know, it could, you know, you could be writing one thing and it goes in a different direction. You know, it's so yeah, yeah. It's it, we, it's, it's something we we really try to like, you know, to to, to have our hands on. You know, keep hold for sure. Obviously, I'm not going to ask you whether you prefer the work to Owls, but in terms of your feelings in the aftermath of their completion. Both albums are these huge masterpieces of art, but in different ways when it comes to the sound of them. Do you feel the same emotions in the aftermath of the work as you did to Elle's? Um, do, do I feel the same way about... about um, the outcome of the albums? Oh, the outcome of the album. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's... It, it's it, I'm definitely definitely happy and 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 very 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 satisfied. It's a different kind of you know it's a, it's mm. a different kind of uh, completion you know with, with it and it's still we're we're still waiting to 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 see how how its reaction to the world you know comes back to us you know so like I I, I do feel I do feel very similar the way we did about Owls with this record without a, without a doubt. But I know we're still, you know, on the edge of our seat waiting to see how the world kind of responds to it. And, um, you know, feeling very content with it in, in a very similar way that we did with ours. But uh, I, I, I feel like it's, it's you know, it, it's able to penetrate a deeper level of honesty with insider all creativity, you know, on this record. Maybe a slightly bit more than than Al. Even though Al's, Al's and, and, and the work are... are or it's the same but different, you know. I feel there's a we're a little bit more closer to our own honest creativity and integrity on on the work, you know, all around, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I I definitely feel that way. I, I'm excited to see everyone else's re reaction. You know. Oh, dude, so, um, dude, yeah. people are going to adore this record. Like, yeah, I've, I've only heard it once, uh, but I can tell it, I'm going to so fall in love with the work. Um, I was so, so stunned when I was listening to it. Um, so, I, dude, I just can't imagine people not absolutely falling in love with the work. It's a real, real special piece of music, man. You should be really proud of that. Thank you. Thank you very much, man. I absolutely. Dude, you're really, you're pushed for time here. So, I'm going to finish off uh, on what we call the quick fire round. Uh, I'm going to give you 20 multiple choice questions. I'm going to see how quickly you can answer them. 
Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up a timer here. One second. Uh, right. Okay. So when you're ready, dude, I'm gonna start asking you questions. See how quickly you can. Uh, they're multiple choice, so I'll give you two choices, and you answer which one you prefer. Okay. I'm Are you ready? ready? Go. Let's go. Yeah. Batman or Superman? Batman. Tea or coffee? Tea. What is the best time of the day? All time. Uh, your favourite band of all time? Being in the present moment. A soap opera is good or bad? A little bit of both. Uh, your favourite film of all time? Favourite what? Film. Film? Yeah, movie. Oh, oh shit. Damn. Um, I would have to say Never Ending Story. Awesome. Uh, Marvel or DC? Uh, Marvel. Metallica Marvel. or Iron Maiden? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, uh, Metallica. ACDC or Guns N' Roses? Guns N' Roses. Your favourite Rivers of Nile song? Man. Oh, man. That's a... That's that is a, a tough one. A, yeah. That is a tough one. Um, You know... uh. I like the silent life. The best. Go ahead. Go ahead. The best live show you've ever seen. The best what? Live, live show, show. Best gig you've ever seen. Radiohead. The best live show you've ever played. Oh man. <laughs> um, I I would have to say it was it was. Oh, that's a good, that's a tough one, man. But I I it, there, there's definitely a handful. But I would definitely say. There's, there's, in terms of like being in the UK, um, some of them, some of them are there. One of them was in London, and one of them was in Birmingham. I oh, think. dude, I was at the show you did in Birmingham with Black Crane Initiate. It was so sick. It was amazing. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah. Um, your favorite takeaway food? Oh fuck. Okay. <laughs> um, damn. Uh, well, when I lived out west, I would have to say it was. Uh, I think it's called. I might be totally butchering this. I think it's called In and Out. No, no, no. What is it? <laughs> oh, 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 uh, God damn. I'm totally having a brain fight right now. We'll go with In and Out. Um, we'll, we'll take In and Out. Machine Head or Kill Switch Engage? What was it? Machine Head or who? Kill Switch. Oh, Kill Switch. Kill Switch 100%. Although I've seen. I've, 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 I've seen them before. They, they, they were amazing. Machine Head. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, the hardest Rivers of Nile song to write? The hardest one to write. Um, Man, you know, <laughs> uh, I would say Subtle Change, maybe. Mm. <laughs> um, the oh, best learn. band member, to, <laughs> the best band member to be around in the studio. Ah. Uh, Man, all of them. I don't want to play favorite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've only got a couple of questions left, so don't worry. Uh, your favorite TV show of all time? Favorite TV, the Tom Green Show. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> uh, Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise? Oh, man. Well, you know what? I would say a little bit of both. But, I mean, <laughs> a little bit of both for different reasons. I definitely like Brad Pitt. I, I think I like Brad Pitt a little bit more, 100%. Uh, ketchup or mayo? 
Um, mayo, honestly. Awesome. <laughs> and then finally, uh, the best piece of advice you would give someone? Um, follow your heart with whatever you do. You know I love I mean? it. I love it, dude. Yeah. Dude, um, this has been awesome for me. I have loved your band for years. This is the coolest thing in the world. The work is amazing. I can't wait to listen to it more and more. I can't wait to get my vinyl copy. I can't wait for the next time you guys tour the UK. I will be there. Um, Thank you so much for your time, man. This was awesome. Thank you so much, dude. Thank you, man. Absolutely, man. I'll see you soon. Take care, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you. Bye.